It was a desk like this. It was a desk kind of like, a lot like this, actually. Uh, when I was in high school many, many years ago, uh, I sat in a desk kind of like this. And uh, it, it was, uh, it had a hard desk surface, had uh, a lot of graffiti on it. As uh, I'm sure most of you sitting in a desk like this also got to read the latest gossip uh, going on in the world uh, by uh, and who was uh, um, not worthy of uh, anything. But uh, it was a desk a lot like this. And so I would sit at my desk and it was in a desk like this where I learned about the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, which in reality is one R, a W, and an A. Um, but uh, I, I, I remember that sitting at a desk like this, I learned about math. I learned about geometry, algebra, trigonometry, which I couldn't stand. Anybody trig fans? A couple of you. Congratulations. I never understood it. Still don't. It might be this, like that's trying to figure out what pie is. You know, pie is something I like to eat, not like something I like to think about. Um, but, I, you know, I sat at a desk. I learned addition and subtraction. I learned a lot about math. And, and in reality, I was not a very good math student. I, uh, was, I was more fond of English uh, and writing, composition and grammar, things like that. Those are the things I really enjoyed, which is probably why I don't design bridges for a living, but instead I speak and write. Um, because math was not my thing. It just really wasn't. Um, today, we're going to begin a brand new teaching series called It's Not About Me. I'd like to thank my creative team for the cool banners up here. Um, those are really, really neat. And um, this series is going to go for the next six weeks. And we're going to talk about what life is really all about. And what God's design for life is really all about. We're going to talk about purpose, why we're here. Because that's a question that a lot of people ask. They want to know, why am I here? Why was I put on this planet? Why was I born? So we're going to talk about purpose. And we're going to talk about the purpose of life. And uh, we're going to talk about what life is really all about. And, and here's a hint. As far as what life is really all about, it's not about me. And it's not about you. It's not about us. We're going to talk about what life is really all about. Today, we're going to talk about math. I was told there'd be no math. There is math today. And we're going to talk about an equation. We're going to talk about this equation of life and what life is really all about. Um, I find that there are three possible equations, and we'll talk about these in just a minute. Um, three possible equations as to what life is really all about and what it's like to have a relationship with God, to have a relationship with Jesus. So we're going to talk about this equation today. Um, and uh, if you would turn in your Bible, if you grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, uh, we're going to look at this idea of the equation. Um, the book of John. The book of John was written by one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. It's the story of Jesus' life from John's perspective, one of his disciples, one of the sons of Zebedee. In chapter 1, we read about how Jesus is God's son. 
John calls Jesus the Word. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he talks about Jesus being God in the flesh and how Jesus came to save people from their sins. In John chapter 2, we see how Jesus called uh, his first followers. Uh, I'm sorry, in in the rest of John chapter 1, he calls his first followers. uh, And he still calls us to follow him today. We are still called to be followers of Jesus. Uh, In John chapter 2, we find Jesus' first miracle. It was at a wedding in a town called Cana. In Galilee. And so Jesus performs this miracle. He turns water into wine. Perhaps you've heard of this story. Uh, In John chapter 3, the passage that Katie read during our worship time, John chapter 3, the first part of it, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus, who was one of the religious leaders of the Jews. And so he has this conversation with Nicodemus. And in in this passage, we read of uh, one of the most famous Bible verses in all of Scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So he has this conversation with Jesus, and Nicodemus was curious as to Jesus' true identity. As we get to our passage today, John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36, we see that John the Baptist had been baptizing Uh, And he had some followers, he had some disciples, and they were really concerned that more people were going to Jesus and to his disciples to be baptized by them. So grab your Bible, turn to John 3, 22, and that's where we're going to start. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Baptism in those days Uh, before uh, Jesus uh, died on the cross and was raised from the dead and before Acts 2.38, baptism was a sign of repentance. Um, It was an opportunity to say, I don't want to live for myself. I want to turn to God and I want to live for him. Today here at GFCC, we teach that baptism is a part of the, the biblical plan of salvation, that we believe in Jesus. We believe that he died for our sins. We repent from our sins and we say, I don't want to live for, for myself anymore. I want to live for Jesus. We confess our faith publicly and say that I believe that Jesus is God's son. He is the Messiah and uh, I want him to be my Lord and Savior. And then we get baptized and we're baptized into Christ's death and raised to new life through him. Uh, and uh, we go on to live a new life for him with the Holy Spirit living inside of us and our sins are forgiven. Well, in today's story, John's argue, followers were arguing with a Jewish man over baptism and John came, and they came to John to inquire about Jesus. Uh, and really, there was a lot of jealousy over the fact that all these new people were coming to follow Jesus instead of coming to follow John. It's like when churches kind of get upset and, and get uh, jealous over the success of other churches. Well, they've got 500 people coming, or they have 1,000 people coming. They have 18,000 people coming, and they baptized 500 people last year. They baptized 2,000 people last year, and there are churches that are doing that, which is just awesome. Um, but there's no reason for jealousy. In, in, in reality, there should be, there should be reason for celebration. 
Well, that's fantastic. More people are getting baptized. More people are coming to know Jesus. More people are being saved. More people are going to heaven. There are more and better disciples of Jesus. That's awesome. We should be celebrating the fact that people are coming to Christ. And John's disciples should have been celebrating the fact that people were coming to repentance, but they were jealous. Uh, So John the Baptist explains his understanding of the importance of Jesus and what he came to do. Pick it up, John 3, 27. To this John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So we're going to focus, for the rest of our time, we're going to focus on verse 30. As we talk about this equation in John chapter three, verse 30, uh, we read that uh, we read about how John says that he must become greater. I must become less. He must increase. I must decrease. It had an astrological connotation. Uh, It's referring to like two celestial lights that one must dim as the other becomes brighter. John the Baptist had to become less and Jesus had to become more. Jesus, uh, John the Baptist had to decrease and Jesus must increase. He must increase and become greater. Now, there are three possible equations when it comes to following Jesus and having a relationship with Christ. The first is he is less than me. He is less than me. That's the first possible equation we can have in our relationship with Christ. And this literally means, what it means is that I am the most important part of this relationship. I am the center of everything. This is someone who is not a fully surrendered, fully devoted follower of Christ. It's, it's like they say, you know, I don't care what Jesus wants. It's about what I want. I want to do what I want to do, and that's what I'm going to do. And it sounds like they're not a Christian, but that's not necessarily true. It is true that you know people who don't follow Jesus uh, typically uh, aren't Christians, and people who don't follow Jesus typically say it's about what I want, and, and it doesn't matter what God wants. Um, but that's not necessarily true in all cases. There are some Christians who live by this equation, that life is about me. Life is about what I want. Life is about my opinions, my preferences, and my desires, and exactly what I want. They can say they love Jesus, but they're not following him. They can go to church every Sunday, but yet their hearts are far from God. They can say they're a Christian, but they really love themselves most. They don't really love Jesus, and they don't really want to serve him as Lord. They love that Jesus is their Savior. They love the fact that he died on the cross for their sins. And they love the fact that they can be forgiven by his sacrifice. They, but they really, in reality, they, they ignore what the Bible says about Jesus being the Lord of their lives. They ignore what the Bible says about Jesus being Lord. They love the fact that he's Savior. They love the fact that he's their friend. They just aren't ready to submit to him as the Lord of the universe. And in reality, they are the lords of their lives. It's like a spouse who's completely self-centered. 
and they have no room to love anyone but themselves. They like the benefits of being married, but they're not ready to give anything to the marriage relationship. You know, for Jesus to be Lord, there has to be a different equation. He is less than me, is completely incompatible with what the Bible says about Jesus and his desire to be the Lord of our lives. Another way of saying this is to put it in John's words, I must increase, he must decrease. The second equation is he equals me. Jesus is not necessarily the Lord of one's life, but rather they're on equal footing. They love Jesus and they want to walk beside Jesus, but they don't want to follow him all the time. It's like someone who says, well, Jesus is my buddy. We hang out on Sundays. Uh, we may, I may go to Bible study and we hang out like on a Tuesday night. But at the end of the service or at the end of the Bible study, we go our separate ways. Jesus, like I said, is their buddy. They only love Jesus halfway. They want a part-time relationship with Christ. You know, imagine if you had a spouse who did this, a part-time relationship with your spouse. And they, they came home whenever they wanted. They never sacrificed for you in any way. They didn't really, really love you. Uh, they would be faithful most of the time. They would love and sacrifice for you occasionally. And the part-time relationship they want, they would say, it's, it's okay with you, uh, it's okay with me, and it has to be okay with you. That is what some people try to do with Jesus. They are in control as much as Jesus is in control. At least they think they're in control as much as Jesus is in control. Jesus is kind of like a spiritual guide. He's like a, a guru. Uh, he's good to have around when I'm in a spiritual jam. When I'm stuck spiritually and I've got a problem spiritually, it's good to have Jesus around because he can get me out of that. But when it comes to submission, when it comes to surrender, when it comes to obedience, we're only going halfway. When it's convenient. When it's convenient, they'll submit to his leading. When it's convenient, they'll submit to his lordship. They pick and choose when to follow Jesus. As long as it doesn't interfere with something that I want to do, as long as it doesn't interfere with something that I have to do, then I'll follow Jesus. That is the he equals me relationship. Kyle Eidelman calls this being a fan of Jesus. In fact, we're going to do a men's study starting this coming Saturday. Our men's breakfast Bible study starts at 8 o'clock this coming Saturday morning. And we're going to go through the book, Not a Fan, by Kyle Eidelman, who's a preacher down in Louisville, Kentucky. And we're going to do this video series called Not a Fan. It's all about how Jesus wants us to be followers of his, not just fans. More than part-time followers, but full-time, fully devoted, fully surrendered followers of Christ. The person who says that the he equals me is their relationship with Jesus is someone who doesn't want to hand over the reins of leadership in their lives. Another way of saying this is I am Lord, he is Lord, and that's okay. But in reality, that's not okay. The third equation, and this is the one that, this is John the Baptist's equation. He is greater than me. He must increase, I must decrease. And not everyone wants this. But this is what being a true follower of Jesus is really all about. It is the increase of Jesus in our lives so that we fade away and his influence and his control in our lives increases. And as our light begins to dim, his becomes, comes into sharper focus. And we become more like him because of his increased leadership and uh, his increased control in our lives. It is about complete and total and utter surrender to Jesus. 
Not everybody wants this. This is not easy, folks. This is hard stuff. This idea of saying, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. This idea of saying, he must increase, I must decrease. That goes against the grain of our human nature. That goes against the grain of our sinful nature. Because we want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We want to do what we want to do. It starts at a very young age. You know, our little ones do that, right? I want to, I want, I want, I want. Am I bringing back bad memories? <laughs> I want. And what do we say? No. Why? Oh, the dreaded why. Why? 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 Because I said so. And it goes around in a circle again. Well, why did you say so? Because I said so. Why? Because I said so. And it's kind of maddening, isn't it? In our relationship with Jesus, he is the one who is in charge. He is the one who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the creator of the universe. He is the king of the universe. All things were made by him, through him, and for him. He is Lord. He is God. He is in charge. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's not about you. He is the savior of all humanity. He went to the cross to suffer and to die for our sins, and he deserves our complete obedience and allegiance. He deserves all of our loyalty. We are to be loyal to Jesus above all. The gospels are full of stories of people who said they wanted to follow Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you go. And then when Jesus tells them what it takes to be a follower, they're like, I can't do that. They weren't ready to fully surrender to Jesus' leading. They weren't ready to say, it's not about me. Because it was about them. They weren't ready to say, he must increase, I must decrease. Only a few answered his call. And today, still, only a few answer his call when it comes to putting it all on the line. And, and when it comes to following Jesus with full surrender. Only a few could do what he required, and still today, only a few can do what he requires, which is complete surrender to his will and to his way, so that we, we follow so close behind him that we will never lose our way, that we won't get lost, that we will be right behind him all the way, that we will sit in the chair, and we will sit in the hard chair and do the hard work, and we will sit there, and we will realize and understand that he must increase, and I must decrease, that I will give up everything that may hinder full-hearted devotion to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Isn't it enough, though? I got up at 8 o'clock, and I got showered and shaved, and I came to church at 9 o'clock. Isn't that enough? I come every week. I put 20 bucks in the office. Isn't that enough? Can't I just do what I want to do like six days a week, and I'll give Jesus some time on Sunday? Isn't that enough? If you said that to your spouse, I'll hang out with you for an hour a week, maybe an hour and 15 minutes, what would they say? Well, I, some of them may say, oh, great. That'd be great. But for the most part, if you are in a devoted, loving marriage relationship with your spouse, they're going to say, what do you mean you're going to give me an hour and 15? What are you going to do the rest of the time? I'm going to do whatever I want. Really? That's a marriage to you? And now you're fighting. And that's a whole nother sermon series next year. Um, but when it comes to full-hearted devotion, we have to do whatever it takes, whatever Jesus asks. In a marriage, the way this looks is, I will cherish you forever. I will love you forever. I got, the cool, I got to do the coolest thing yesterday. There's a couple in our church, Anna and Alan Robertson. They've been married. Yesterday was their 50th wedding anniversary. 
and we did their vow renewal at their home yesterday in front of their family. And uh, it was so sweet. 50 years, and they're both like crying. They're bawling their eyes out as they're repeating their vows, you know, shaking through their vows together. It was so sweet. It was the best thing ever. And it's like I'm sitting there, and I'm getting choked up, you know. And, and it's just it's that love, that devotion, that cherish, that, that sacrifice that goes into a marriage. It's that same kind of sacrifice and love that we need to give to Jesus. That we will do whatever it takes because Jesus gave up everything so that we could gain everything. And we need him more and more every day. He must increase, I must decrease. The person who follows this equation, the person who follows that he is greater than me, is the person who understands that it's not about me. And it's not. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. This whole thing from the church to our families, to our jobs, to our lives. It's all about Jesus. And that's the point for the next six weeks that I'm going to make over and over and over again, that this whole thing is about Christ. So I want to challenge you today to do some new math, to learn some new math, to learn this equation that he must increase, I must decrease. What area of your life are you trying to control? Control is an illusion, by the way. What area of your life are you trying to control? Is it your family? Is it your job? Maybe you're trying to control your finances. Or maybe you're just trying to control your fears. Have you surrendered these things to Jesus yet? Well, what would that look like? What would it look like to have Jesus be the Lord of every aspect of our lives? What would it look like to let Christ be Lord of our lives in every way? To follow his plan for life. To follow his equation for life, he must be increase, I must decrease. He must become greater, I must become less. Are you following his equation or are you trying to write your own? How does Jesus' influence increase at home? How does he become greater and we become less at home? Maybe it's as simple as praying together as a family once a day. You know, at dinner time or at bedtime or when you first wake up in the morning. You know, you get everybody together and say, let's just, let's just pray together as a family. Or maybe it's reading the Bible together. Let's read a chapter out of the Bible every day just as a family. Maybe that's how Jesus' influence can increase at home. What about his influence at work? Maybe you don't get involved in the gossip that's going on. Or maybe you don't get involved in the, in the joking that's going on when people are making fun of other people or, or telling dirty jokes. You don't get involved in that because... You want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You want Jesus' influence to increase in your life at work. What about Jesus' increase, increased influence in your finances? Well, maybe it's time to trust him more and start tithing to his kingdom. Like Ron said in his, commun- his offering meditation this morning, to give a little bit more, to reach down and, and to understand that everything we have comes from Jesus. And, and we can give back and we can partner with God. And give him a portion back of what he's given to us. How does Jesus' influence increase in your fears? How many of you are afraid? You don't have to raise your hand. But I know you are. I know I'm afraid. I have fears. I have things that I'm worried about. I got things that I'm scared of. Not like spiders and snakes and stuff. But but I'm scared of of the future. I'm scared of of what's going to happen in our country. I'm scared... For what's going to happen to my son. You know I I have fears about his future. And and my own future. How can I trust him to take care of me? 
How can I trust him to take care of my family? Maybe you need to trust him to provide for your needs. Maybe that's your biggest fear is, how am I going to make ends meet? Trust him. My question is, do you need to repent? Do you need to repent of a life that is lived by a false equation? Because there's only one equation that is going to make sense of life. There's only one equation that Jesus calls us to. And it's not he is less than me. It is not that he equals me. It is that he is greater than me. And that's the equation that we need to start living by. He must increase. I must decrease. He must become greater. I must become less. Because in reality, it's not about me. Father God, thank you for the words of John the Baptist and how he's really summed up what life is all about. How it is about following Jesus and his increased influence in our lives and his increased presence in our lives. Help us to trust you, not only for salvation, but help us to trust you in all things. Help us to to trust you to provide for our needs and to take care of our families and to, to, to watch over us and protect us. Help us to trust you and help us to make Jesus' influence greater in our lives. Thank you for this equation and help us to grow in faith and in goodness and in holiness. In Jesus' name we pray.